Uh, Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to look at Titus chapter 2. Let's, uh, the text today is, is, is 11 through 15. I know it says on the, on the screen um, uh, 1 through 10, but we covered that last week. And so we'll see if it works. If it doesn't, those of you who are streaming with us will not be able to catch, will not be able to catch it. So that's what's going to happen. So I every year get to look and watch different things that happen uh, through uh, a lot of social media, a lot of articles. One of the things I look forward to every year is to watch when Uber comes out with their list of things that people forget in the car. I think it's just funny. I think what in the world were people thinking when they, they leave the car and forget all these things? Now, let's, let's just be honest. If you've ever been in a taxi or an Uber, you know, you get in the car and you're in a hurry and you just go and, and there's certain things, you know, you just kind of, you kind of get. You leave a phone or a wallet or a set of keys because you get in the car and you throw things in and you go, a briefcase. Uber does this research and they produce it every year. In May this year, they, they, they let out their list and they'll tell you, like, what are the top 10 cities that are the most forgetful cities that people leave things in. And don't worry, Glasgow didn't make the top 10 city, okay? And just in case you were thinking Glasgow may be where people leave the most stuff in an Uber car, it's not. Austin, Texas is number one. Uh, number three was uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So that's the closest we've got, Nashville. Um, then, they, then they do their list of things like everybody does, the car keys and things. And then it's the funny things, like the top 50 things that are the most unique. That's where I have the most fun, is looking at the most unique things that people have left. And you can't make this stuff up. And so here's what I decided to do. I decided I'd share with you just five. And I wrestled to get to five, but I only picked five. So uh, number one that I picked was an FBI bulletproof vest. I just have to ask some questions with this. Like, what was he doing and why was his bulletproof vest, now I get it, I've I worn a bulletproof vest when I was, worked with the police department as a chaplain. They're not comfortable to wear, so it's probably the outer vest, so you just put, but listen, do you, tell, do you call in sick that day? Like, I'm not going to tell my buddies that I don't have my vest because I left it in the Uber car. You know what I'm saying? It's not one of those things that I'm going to announce to anybody that I don't have that. So they left it. Uh, another, another one, there was a ton of these, a cooler full of fish uh, that somebody caught. Like they were at a pier someplace, they caught this fish and they left this, they left this fish. Now there were tons of food items left in the car. Well, one was um, about 20 pounds of raw, raw chicken. Who wants to get in the car after that? One was a ton of meat that they, Uber couldn't even tell you how many pounds of meat was left in the car. Again, I'm like, who, who thinks of these things? Um, this one I thought was interesting, a tattoo machine. Now, listen, Ladine, I've never gotten a tattoo. Have you? 
No, no, okay, I just wondered. You, you were laughing. So I, I, I don't know how big a tattoo machine is, but I mean, it can't be, it's not something you put in your pocket, I'm sure. So how do you leave a tattoo machine in an Uber car? You know, it's, I, I'm thinking that's got to be pretty good size. Um, here's one, a crystal chandelier. Now, I've never bought one. Praise the Lord, my wife doesn't need one. Uh, she's never asked for one for Mother's Day. She's never asked for one for her birthday. But I can't believe they're cheap. And you buy one, put it in a car, and the car drives off with it. And then listen, some of you may not like this one, but I just thought it was, I just thought this one was funny. Honey, did you pick up Fifi? Yeah, I got Fifi. Where is she? Well, she's taking a ride. <laughs> Where's she riding? Well, at this moment, I'm not sure, but I got to find her. I mean, just, it's, you think, you got to think through these things. How do, how do people forget these things? I mean, let's, let's be honest. We've all forgotten things, right? Right. I mean... Misplaced your car keys, you've, you've left something someplace else, you've, you, you, you know, your wife told you to pick up the dry cleaning, you picked it up, but you, you left it at your office, you've done, you've done something. We've all, we've all forgotten or lost something. Recently, I, I was doing something for my father on Father's Day. My, my brother and sister had agreed we were going to have this painting done for my dad. I mean, what, you know, we're at that point in our, our lives that what do you get my father or my mother for Father's Day? And so my dad used to work for Coca-Cola in Elizabethtown. It used to be the largest privately owned, um, privately owned collectors in, in, the, in the United States. And he restored some of their antiques. And so we were going to have this painting done of one that he did, of this truck that he did. And it was in a magazine, featured in a magazine. And, I, and Dad got us all this magazine when it was featured in the, in the, in the magazine of, of this truck. And I was having it painted for him, was this, this picture. And I was like, I'll get that magazine out so I can give the artist so he sees it. And, and I, you know, this magazine means nothing to nobody. I mean, it's probably a dollar on a stand someplace. But it means the world to me. And I remember getting it, you know, my dad did the, they get, did the article on dad and the pictures in the thing. And I said, I'll cherish this the rest of my life. You've been in my office, you know I've got Coke memorabilia there. I'll cherish this the rest of my life. And I couldn't find it. I mean, I went for weeks tearing things apart going, I, I promised myself I would never lose this. This meant something to me. I, I was able to get what I needed to get to the artist, but I was still distraught. How did I? This was important to me. Maybe to nobody else, but to me it was important. You know, and finally a month goes by and I, you know, I found it. And you know, the thing was, I, I didn't put it anywhere safe. As much as it meant to me, I didn't value it enough to put it in a a place of safekeeping because the truth of the matter was if I wasn't careful it was in a place that I could have just thrown it away accidental 
This morning I want to talk about grace forgotten. Now hear me carefully. God's grace is always present. God's grace is never, never not present. But the question for you and for me today is, have we forgotten God's grace? Oh, we know God's grace and that God's grace saved us and has changed our life. But do we really live like it matters? Or have we just forgotten it? Did it mean something to us at one point and now we just have forgotten the true meaning of God's grace? Have we kind of tucked it away and gone on? Because here's the thing. We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. And so here's the thing I think we, we do with grace is we understand grace. We understand we can't earn it. We can't maintain it. We can't, we can't achieve anything with it. It is a free gift. And because it's a free gift, we didn't earn it. We didn't, we didn't achieve it. We didn't do anything. It is freely given to us. We just live our life every day with the knowledge that grace has been given to us. And because we can't do anything, we just go on about our business and throw a little bit of God. And we think, oh, that's good enough. We got grace. And the problem with that, the problem with that thought is that's poor theology. That's missing the point of what God sent his son for. That's the missing the point of what Jesus died for. The late Adrian Rogers says it this way, if you're not growing in grace, you're living in disgrace. Let that thought sit in for a second. If you're not growing in grace, you're living in disgrace. Jesus died to rescue you from your sins. When he died, he, he came to a place, he took everything humanity had sin-wise on him. And by doing so, he calls you and I to live a life worthy, worthy of his dying. So, are you living a life worthy of Christ dying for? Are you growing in grace or living in disgrace? So this morning, here's the big idea. I normally do this after the text, but I want you to catch it. It's real simple this morning. Healthy churches challenge their members to live like Christ's death matters daily. Simple. Does Christ's death matter to you daily? Or is it something that, hey, I've got the grace of God in my life. 
I live how I want to, and I sprinkle in a little bit of God as it goes. And by the way, I'm going to get to heaven. You hope. Because according to Scripture, if Jesus is... If Jesus has changed your life, you're changed forever. When Isaiah stood before God, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Moses, depart from me, hid himself. Peter, after he denied Christ, wants to go away. But when they encounter God, when they encounter Christ, he so changes their life that their life is never the same. If you're living like you did before you came to know Christ, I'm here to tell you, Christ didn't change your life. Paul tells Titus that. If you have your Bibles, look with me. I'll ask you to remain seated. We'll just read the text today, and then we're going to just take it apart. This is one of my favorite ways to do the text today. We'll just go with it one verse by verse, but we'll read it all one time. Beginning in verse 11. For, it's, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Instructing us to deny godliness. Or godlessness, I'm sorry. And worldly lust. To live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless and to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Father, today, remind us your grace is sufficient. Remind us, you came, you rescued us from the miry, from the muck, you've pulled us out of the dirt and you cleansed us and you cleaned us and you've called us your own. May we live that way. For it's in your son's name we pray, Amen. Let me give you a couple points if you're taking notes this morning. Let me give you a couple points you can write down. Grace is available. Catch this, grace is available. When you look at verse, when you look at verse 11, we, we catch this. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing, catch this, salvation for all people. Now, the text there says bringing salvation for all people, but the reality of the matter is, that salvation has not come, or evangelism has not come to the worldwide. If evangelism, if evangelism has come worldwide, then all people would be saved or have had the opportunity to have heard the gospel. But the truth of the matter is we know that the gospel hasn't reached the worldwide. What we know is that God has made grace available worldwide to those who hear it. Now let me tell you why we know the evangelism is not worldwide. There are 7.5 billion people living in the world today according to the Joshua Project an organization who tracks people and tracks evangelism of the 7.5 billion people in the world today 3.23 billion people are unreached 
meaning they live in places in the world who've never heard the gospel. Pam and I support a couple of students, or they're not a couple students, they're married. She was in our student ministry back years ago. They're going to a place where people have never heard the gospel. His job is going to be to write, to, to do the alphabet and begin to write in a language they've never translated in. Can you think about that? There are places in the world who do not even have language written, words written, written in their language, and the gospel is barely getting there. So, there, according to Joshua Project, there are 3.23 billion people unreached. That's why when we tell you uh, at Christmas, Lottie Moon, Lottie Moon was a missionary, Lottie Moon is important for us because that's one way as a church we help send missionaries all around the world. We try to, to send more missionaries to unreached people group. According to Joshua Project, there are 17,446 people groups. You and I are a people group, okay? Of the people groups, that means there are 7,400 and something like that unreached people groups. So there's still tons of people who've never heard the gospel. So when Paul says, bringing salvation to all people, he's not saying, um, he's not saying that, salvation, or that, that evangelism has come in worldwide because we know there are people who still not, not heard it. But what he's saying is that the grace of God has come and now it's the responsibility for us to get God's grace wherever we can go. It is the responsibility for the church to take that, that message and go worldwide. God's grace is available to all people. And as much as those people who are unreached, who need the gospel, there are people here in Barron County who still need the gospel. Now the difference with people in Barron County is likelihood is they've heard the gospel. They've had a chance to respond to the gospel in their life. And in some cases in the gospel here in Barron County, they've, they've said no or they've said yes. And in some cases, they've, they've forgotten the grace of God. Now, let me just say this in, in the simplest and politest way. And Mike, you can stand up and rebuke me if I'm wrong. There are people here in Barron County who will tell you I belong to such and such church, and maybe even this church. But they're as far from God as they can come. The grace of God hasn't impacted their life in any way, shape, or form. And you go, Pastor, that's pretty much a judgmental statement. No, that's just what the Bible says, because James tells us we'll know their faith by their works and their actions. Jesus says we'll, we'll know them by the fruit. Listen, we, we live in a world where we're very uncomfortable to, to say things about people, but the truth of the matter is the scripture is very clear on how people live. That our actions are to proclaim the gospel and anything else contradicts who we are in Christ. And so the more we contradict who we are in Christ, the less likely we are in Christ. So there are tons of people here 
in Barron County who aren't growing in grace but living in disgrace. And as a church, we've got to be growing in grace so we can help them know what it looks like. So we can help them know how grace and love and mercy really looks like. Because if they think it's okay, if everybody else is doing it that way and they think that's what it is, how shame on us. We've got to help them understand grace is available. The second thing we find in this text is the grace effect. The grace effect. We look at verses 12 and 13. We see where Paul instructs them. And I love these verses because he kind of gives them this, this before and after, kind of the good and the bad. Reminds them of what they was, once was and what they need to be doing. Look at verse 12. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. Godlessness is, is, is just ungodly living. They're all action. How, how, we, how we live and how we act and how we behave. They're behavioral things. And worldly lust has a, has a lot to do with, with behavior. Lust over sexual things, uh, power, anger, hatred. We could go through a power. We could go through a list of things, and we see that today of of of, of how all that plays out in our culture today. And we talked about a little bit of that last week, and and Paul is reminding them that's not how we live. Although in Crete that was the thing that they did, that was the way that was life as normal. And Paul's reminding the church that Titus, you're to tell the church that's not what happens when you are in Christ. That's not the way you live. Grace teaches us how to live because God has made a difference in our life. He goes on and says, this is what it means when it makes a difference. But live in a sensible and righteous and in a godly way in the present age. In other words, he, he, he begins to, we talked about sensible and righteous last week and and how, we're to, how do we live this way in, in such a way that, that the world sees something different. The world sees something that is so completely different that it is godly and it's, that it's no, no one would, would want to go back to the way they were. I, I think of it this way. Um, I was gone this week traveling and... Um, if I'm by myself, you know, I pick restaurants that, you know, if you don't know, I like to eat. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick, I'm a foodie, I like to pick right restaurants. You know, I, I picked a P.F. James one night, you know, I'm going to pick restaurants. But if I'm having to eat in the car um, while traveling, then I'm still going to pick good restaurants. I've just got to figure that out. And I, and I thought about this on the drive home. Nobody in their right mind has ever said McDonald's makes a good hamburger. Amen? I mean, nobody says McDonald's makes a good hamburger. McDonald's makes a cheap hamburger. 
And they made a good money making it how they get through the drive-thru quickly, how they do it fast, how they, you know, kids love them, but that's about it. And so it was, it was driving, I was in a hurry, I needed to get, and I thought, I hadn't had a burger because I haven't been with Drew, didn't have to have a burger. I thought, well, I'm going to get a burger. And I thought, well, I'm not, getting a hand, I'm not getting a McDonald's burger. And I thought, oh. And if you also know when I travel, I know where, there's a few things I know where there always are. Where Krispy Kreme donuts are, Starbucks coffee, and then I know where most restaurants are that I'm looking for. So I thought, oh, this exit right up here has a Five Guys and Fries. I'll hit that. Now, if you've never eaten at a Five Guys and Fries, I can just tell you, if you eat a McDonald's hamburger and then go get a Five Guys and Fries hamburger, yes, the pocketbook knows the difference, but so will your taste bud. I'm just saying. And if you eat the Five Guys and Fries hamburger, you'll go, why would I ever want to go back to McDonald's? The same thing here. Paul is reminding Titus in the church, this is how you once lived. But when the grace of God comes into your life, and this is how you live, sensible, righteous, and godly, why would you ever want to go back this way? Why would you ever want to go back and live this way? Because what grace has done, why would you want that? Why would you want to go back and do such a thing when you've experienced this? And yet we do that, don't we? We, we go right back at times. And, I, and here's why. And I'll, I'll, this not, let me just I tell you why we do that. We see this in Scripture. When Peter denies Christ three times, what does he go back and do? He goes back to the fishing boat. Why? Because he, that's all he knows. He goes right back to what he knows. When we fall into temptation, we go right back to what we know. Back doing we're no good and we go right back to what we, what we thought. God must not love us. So we go right back to the, our old ways. That's Satan working. That's not God. Because the grace of God says, I forgive you. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, while we wait, now catch this. Circle that word wait in your scripture. Anybody like to wait? I don't see any hands. Laura was on the phone with me when I was frustrated in a traffic wreck the other day. I was like, oh, can't get through this. Nobody likes to wait. But here's the thing you and I are in. God's put us on this earth for a period of time. You go to, you go to the graveyard today and you look at all the head tunes. They'll have a, a date, a dash, and a date. The dash is the wait. And it's what your life looks like between the two. And while we wait, here's what we're to do. We're to wait for the blessed hope appearing in the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're to do. But while we wait, our responsibility is to live a righteous, sensible, and godly life. That's our job. When grace comes into your life, that's what happens. Your life is so changed, you don't want to go back. And so Paul closes it this way. Let me do this really, really fast. I understand. You don't want to go back. Just like when you do other things, you don't want to go back. Once you've experienced something good, 
you don't want to go back. If you've ever experienced first-class flying, you don't ever want to go back to coach. Amen? If you've ever experienced fine dining, you don't want to go back. You, you enjoy that. Why would you experience the best that God has and want to go back to the life of sin? Grace comes and changes your life. Why would you want to go back? So in verse 14, he says, He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, to cleanse us from himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Let's break this verse down in four ways real quick. Paul reminds us of the gospel right here. First thing I want you to catch in this text is real simple. Is that he gave himself for us, to redeem us. So Christ rescued us. Paul reminds us, reminds Titus, he listens and says, don't forget. Christ is the one who rescued you. He rescued us. He went to the cross to save us from our sins. He's the one who rescues us. No one can do it on earth. Grace is free. It's not something you earn. It's not, a, it's not something you can achieve. It's done through Christ alone. The second thing he says he came to cleanse us for himself. What does it mean to cleanse us? He purchased us. He paid the price. He went to the cross paying for your sins and for my sins to cleanse us, to wash us clean, to take that sin away from us so that we may be pure before God because he paid that price. No greater gift than you and I have ever received than he did that for us. Then we find that we are a people for his own possession, which means Christ calls us his own. No greater thing. When the disciples was learning how to pray, Jesus, when they said, teach us to pray, they, the disciples had heard this, I believe, before, but the Jews who were listening had never heard someone to pray and said, our Father who art in heaven, that was a new term. You would dare not to call God Father. But the truth of the matter is Jesus comes to adopt us as his children through the cross. If you are, if you've recognized who Jesus is, you are adopted into the family because of what he did on a cross. He loves you as his own. He calls you his own. So here's what the end of the verse says. Eager to do good works. So we have a responsibility. We are Christ's workmanship. Did you catch that? We are Christ's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what, church? Good works. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So here's the thing. When we're growing in grace, we're living out what God's called us to do. We have a responsibility. We have a, we have a task. Why was I so joyful today? I'm joyful a lot. Because I look around and see people serving the Lord here at Glasgow Baptist Church. But the reality is, there are still there are still many who need to get on a serve team. They need to find a, 
a place to serve. They, they need to be working in our children's ministry. They're, they've been called to do card ministry. They've been called to do phone ministry. They've called to prayer ministry, but they've not done it. But the scripture tells us if we're growing in Christ, we're serving because that's what we're to do. Brian Chappell tells a story in a book that he wrote about El Nino in Southern California years ago. It was after El Nino, during the middle of El Nino, when, when the rains were coming and all the flood was happening, there was a mudslide that was taking place and people were supposed to be evacuating and this family did not evacuate like they should have at the time. And in the middle of the night, when the family was asleep in the house, a mudslide occurred outside their home and the mudslide came through their house. And the parents woke up to the horror of realizing that their child, their baby, the mudslide took that baby out of the house and carried it off. A frantic mother and father begins searching through the night for this child, this baby. All night long looking for this child and can't find. Rescue workers are out trying to no luck. But early dawn morning, as the rescue workers are still looking, this mother is just distraught trying to find her baby. There comes a, a rescue worker covered in mud from head to toe, carrying what looks to be a ball of mud. And it's her baby. The baby's alive, healthy. And this mother grabs this child. Tears in her eyes, wipes the child's face and kisses this child and embraces this child and vows never to let this child go through the mud again. Friends, Jesus went to the cross so that you and I would never go through the mud again. He died on a cross so that you and I would never have to do that again. The question is, why do we keep forgetting that and living in the way of the past? When grace is sufficient. Maybe you're here today and you've been praying and asking God and, and you're not hearing any answers. Maybe it's time for repentance to start taking place. Maybe it's time for you just to, to say, God, I'm sorry. And it's time for you to start there. Rather than seeking questions, maybe it's time to start with repentance. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? As Felisa begins to play, all heads bowed, eyes closed, here's just what I want to ask. I, I understand today the message of grace. There's a lot of people in this room that I think probably today, when you think about grace and where we live in this world, we We've probably, probably have forgotten grace. I know there have been moments in my life that I've tried to run on my own and, and left God out of the equation. So here's what I want you to ask. Nobody looking around, everybody head bowed and eyes closed. If today you'd say, Pastor, I'm just going through some things and I need the grace of God, and would you just pray for me? No questions asked, just that's what you want. If nobody looking, would you just raise your hand this morning? Just raise your hand right where you are. 
Okay, you can put them down. I want you to know we're praying for you. But I want you to know that God loves you. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever, whatever you're going through, don't, don't forget that his grace is sufficient. That whatever he calls you to, he'll provide. Whatever valley you walk through, you don't walk alone. But the thing is, you got to do it with him. He never promises it will be easy. He just promises you won't do it alone. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's the reason that you're struggling. If you're here this morning and you've forgotten grace, maybe today you start with repentance. Oh, you, I'm not questioning your salvation, but you've been relying on yourself way too long, and it's time to rely on God. However you need to respond, in just a moment as we sing, I'll be here at the front, or you can come out these side doors. JJ and Mike would love to talk to you, pray with you, whatever the case may be, you do that. Father,